Strong voices. It's not just about one state. It's not just about one community. It's about all of our communities. The issues that face Indigenous peoples around the world sit at the heart of the questions that we're asking about the future of our political order. I am here and now, and I speak my language. I practice my cultural essence of me. What we do need is a more critical race consciousness in this country, a preparedness to talk about race, to talk about the way in which racialised logics are inscribed upon our bodies and to critically examine them in order to change it. The government's changed, but we've got to be still here. We're always going to be still here. We've been here for 65,000 years and I don't think we're going to go anywhere. What the system still struggles with is this collaboration with First Nations people. A strong voice is an Aboriginal voice. Good morning and welcome to Strong Voices. I'm Kyle Dowling. You're tuning into Calm Radio here. We're coming to you live from Aranda Country here in Central Australia, broadcasting to all nations through Vast Channel 911. We're also coming to you online at karma.com.au. Today is Wednesday, the 29th of May, 2019. Coming up on Strong Voices today, we're going to be hearing about discussions in Tasmania where uh, discussions are happening whether or not to rename Franklin Square in Hobart to Truganini Place in memory of the significant figure and to honour Aboriginal people. Chairman of the Aboriginal Land Council and veteran Aboriginal rights campaigner Michael Mantle will be discussing that shortly. Also, a little later, we're going to be heading down to Geelong in Victoria to have a chat about gambling and how it impacts the mob. And near the tail end of the program, we're going to be hearing from uh, Alwyn Doolan, who has walked 8,000 kilometres from Cape York to Canberra for Indigenous reconciliation. We're going to be hearing about his journey and how that went in some of the different messages that he received along the way. We're, of course, going to be hearing the very latest in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from across the country as well. This is Kevin Capinari, and you listen to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. Bam! That's right. You're listening to Strong Voices on Calm Radio. We're going to head into our first story of the show now. We're going to head down to Tasmania, where discussions are being had about renaming areas to recognise and honour Aboriginal people. The Hobart Council is considering whether certain public areas should be renamed. The ABC reports that uh, Lord Mayor of Hobart, Anna Reynolds, has flagged the possibility of renaming Franklin Square to Truganini Place in honour of the significant individual. I recently spoke with uh, Michael Mantle, a veteran Aboriginal rights campaigner and chairman of the Aboriginal Council of Tasmania, who says the renaming is overdue. It's certainly overdue, and it's a good move by the Hobart Lord Mayor. Of course, the Hobart Council is the biggest in Tasmania, so they do tend to lead the way. Um, they, the talk of of changing some of the names, such as the Franklin Square, from uh, which was named after this uh, racist white bloke uh, who did absolutely nothing for Aborigines but cause harm, uh, into. Uh, uh, naming it after an Aboriginal person or an Aboriginal family or an Aboriginal uh, tribal group is something that we welcome. But, of course, this has been going on for some time. Uh, you know, we've mentioned before that uh, where Hobart is built is in a place that was known as Nipaluna. And uh, 
the Hobart Council and many other people have now taken it up, and so they call that dual naming. Uh, Mount Wellington that sits uh, above Hobart uh, was always known uh, as Kunanyi, and so that's on the signposts now, Kunanyi, Mount Wellington. And, of course, other places around Tasmania, like the Kanamaluka River uh, in Launceston, which is, has been for years called the Tamer River. So there's, a, there's been an acceptance by Tasmania generally about putting the original names of the landscape back in place alongside the European names. The, the only group that's out of touch with this trend, of course, is the Tasmanian Liberal government. Uh, they don't want Aboriginal names on there and they're scraping around looking for every reason to say no. But while they're uh, procrastinating, the rest of Tasmania is going ahead. When you look at the ABC weather report of the night, uh, you'll see the Aboriginal names come up for different geographical areas. So who cares what the Tasmanian government says? And in terms of renaming areas, what are your thoughts on having a place like the Franklin Square in particular, what would be your thoughts in terms of having that name completely changed to an Aboriginal name? Do you, do you think people would be open to something like that? Well, why shouldn't they be? There will be sections of the Tasmanian community who still believe that Australia is subject to the white Australia policy, therefore everything that white people did should be honoured. But most other people, I think, would say, well, look, None of us relate to what Lord Franklin or whatever his title was, but we do understand that they had an original... This was part of Nipaluna, and even though we don't have a particular name for the square itself, it, I think most people would say it's appropriate to give it an Aboriginal name and give recognition to the original people and their descendants. Now, I believe this suggested... Uh renaming of Franklin Square. They're, they're looking to call it Truganini Place. Is is that something that you think is, is appropriate for that area? Look, there's two thought, uh, schools of thought on this. One is that we understand the sentiment behind the Lord Mayor wanting to honour Truganini because she was raped by white men. Uh, her husband had his fingers cut off and he was trying to get back in the dinghy uh, to his wife. They cut his fingers off and, of course, he drowned. Uh, she was abused during her life. She was held up as the last Aboriginal under the racist definition that any Aboriginal who uh, had a white ancestor could no longer be an Aboriginal. And even after her death, she was uh, dug up and her remains were displayed in the Tasmanian Museum. So... You can understand the sentiment saying, well, look, during her life she was treated horribly. After her death she was treated horribly. We should recognise this woman and, uh, you know, try to turn that around. On the other hand, Truganini's image is symbolic of the white people's belief that this was the final way of getting rid of Aborigines. And a lot of people in Tasmania and a lot of people around Australia still believe that uh, Truganini was the last real Aboriginal. And so there is this view that, well, is the timing right? Would the naming of the square after Truganini 
instead of after William Lanny or Millie Beaton or Ida West, why in particular are we focusing on Trugnini? Are we in fact compounding the out-of-date view that unless you were a full blood, you weren't a real Aboriginal? So that debate, uh, I think, hasn't yet been had and it's unresolved. Now, Michael, it is Reconciliation Week. Uh, you were talking about, you know, the struggles to have those Aboriginal names uh, and places recognised across the country, the, the battle with the, the government there. How would you describe the progress towards reconciliation in, in Tasmania for the Aboriginal people there? I think the civic leaders, such as local government, have been particularly supportive. The Flinders Council, for example, for the last four years, moved their celebrations from January 26th to a week earlier or a week later so that it is more inclusive. The Hobart Council and other councils have said that they believe the ceremony should be conducted away from January 26th because they believe that it's morally wrong. So that indicates a significant shift in the, the attitudes of the civic leaders. I think the Tasmanian public have started to embrace this change. I remember when we first started marching against the celebration of the, of the invasion on January 26th, I think there were about 60 of us and we were abused as we walked down the street. Well, now you're getting 4,000 people three and a half thousand who are white and only a few hundred Aborigines. And so it's an indication of a real shift. And I think that the younger generation are accepting that Aboriginal language right on the doorstep of places like Tasmania is something that should be embraced and should be understood and used rather than picking languages from overseas like Indonesian or Chinese or some other non-English language and learning that. So I think times are changing and it's all happening despite the uh, dragging of the heels of a Liberal government, which does show that you can bring about social and cultural change without the needs of conservative state governments being on board. And just finally for you, Michael, of course, we had the federal election recently wrapping up for you, what, what was your thought on, in terms of the outcome of the election? Obviously, we've seen now the, the first uh, federal minister for Indigenous Affairs being appointed through uh, Ken Wyatt. W what are your thoughts on in terms of that process so far? The outcome of the election was a disaster. Uh, the Labor Party don't always deliver, but at least they promised some positive things such as treaty talks, and making changes to the way Aboriginal affairs is administered, whereas the current coalition government, who have been in power for a long time, have done absolutely nothing beneficial to Aboriginal people. They keep cutting the uh, endangered languages funding. There's no land rights. There's no national Aboriginal body that's independent of government. They keep putting these advisory bodies, and so on and so on. So I thought it was an unmitigated disaster for Aboriginal people, the re-election of the Morrison government. Yes, uh, the appointment of Ken White is a good positive move. Just how far Ken White can go in terms of 
bringing about changes as the Minister for Aboriginal Affairs remains to be seen because if he doesn't have the clear and unbridled support of the Prime Minister to make a difference, then he will be seen as just a token Minister for Aboriginal Affairs and the appointment will be seen as nothing more than a public relations exercise by Morrison. But I'm optimistic. I think notwithstanding the conservative nature of the coalition, Ken White is the right man for the job. I think if anyone can make a difference in that government, it's Ken White. So we just have to see what happens. That was a veteran Aboriginal rights campaigner and chairman of the Aboriginal Land Council of Tasmania there, Michael Mansell. We're going to be heading to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from across the country soon. But before then, we're going to go to a uh, break and then we'll be right back. You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. Yes, that's right. You're listening to Strong Voices here on Calm Radio this uh, Wednesday morning. Great to have your company and I'm very happy to have the company of Karma's Paul Wiles here in the Karma Radio studio. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Carl, and good morning, listeners. Well, Paul, uh, let's start off by talking uh, about an individual in the NRL, uh, Cody Walker. Yes, well, uh, news from The Guardian, courtesy of The Guardian. Cody Walker insists that he won't be singing the national anthem at the State of Origin. Uh, He says... uh, it's just his opinion, and he it isn't intended to spark a wider movement. Uh, Cody Walker is set to make his New South Wales debut at Suncorp Stadium on on uh, tonight, uh, and he's one of several players who remain tight-lipped during a rendition of Advanced Australia Fair at the Indigenous All Stars game in Melbourne earlier this year. Uh, Cody says he uh, doesn't want to invite controversy but confirmed he will again stay quiet when the teams line up before the biggest game of rugby league so far this season and arguably the biggest of his career. He told Fairfax, uh, I'm not pushing my views on anyone, it's just how me and my family have grown up and how I feel. Um, He's found support from uh, former Queensland great Jonathan Thurston, who said an opportunity was missed when the issue wasn't properly discussed following February's All-Star game. So uh, some pretty high-profile players there. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's sort of, you know, akin to situations that we've seen both here in Australia in the past, but also in the US where we had a lot of NFL players, obviously, as well. Uh, choosing to kneel and, and not obviously take part in their national anthems. And that did see backlash, and we have seen backlash in the past here in Australia as well in terms of, you know, people opting to not sing the national anthem. But there's also a lot of support, as you mentioned, from a lot of different people. So there's still that mixed response in sure. terms of that, that yeah, yeah. position. As, yeah, Cody Walker says it's uh, something that was very firmly entrenched as he grew up within his own family mm. and those views but um, as we do know there are other high profile Aboriginal players who are quite happy to sing the national anthem so mm. uh, uh, it's a discussion that will be going on for some time I think yeah definitely yeah. we're going to go on to our next story now uh, we're going to head to Western Australia very quickly to talk about uh, police stations so this is a story from uh, the Australian Associated Press uh, Uh, So, uh, WA police stations are actually going to be flying the Aboriginal uh, flags in uh, each, every single police station, as far as I can tell, in in Western Australia to uh, symbolise the force's commitment to reconciliation. So, they're going to be flown at all Western Australian police stations permanently 
as part of the Forces Reconciliation Action Plan to improve relations with Indigenous people. Uh, Police Commissioner Chris Dawson has said it was an important symbolic move and has said that uh, we recognise the need to collectively enhance our knowledge and respect for Aboriginal history, culture and traditions and acknowledge their Uh, custodianship of our state and that it's a uh, priority for us to build relationships and mutual respect with Aboriginal people pardon me uh, and embed these intentions into our agency's culture and service Uh, obviously a pretty big move it well coming from Western Australia and and the Western Australian police a very big move Mm. very big statement um, by the uh, commissioner over there um we will watch on with great interest. Um, you know, obviously, this is a journey, and and what is um, uh, it, it is good to see now. We're hearing more and more about the RAPS, the Reconciliation Action Plans. Mm. That, uh, um, most of the country now seems to be taking uh, a part uh, in this new process of educating their own members or uh, their own uh, personnel. Um, trying to educate people and um, you know this is something that uh, we've spoken about for a long long time this is what we do every day here at Karma Radio as we're trying to help educate the wider community about issues that perhaps they haven't had so much information about in the past so uh, good to see what the West Australian police who knows it might be the Alice Springs Town Council next (laughs) well I, I think it's you know significant as well in terms of when we talk about that relationship between, uh, you know, Aboriginal uh, or First Nations peoples and, and police, you know, there has been sort of that mistrust in, in certain areas over the years. Obviously not all, um, but obviously in terms of engaging within that relationship, it, it's great to see that they're, yeah. they're keen to want to push that recognition and engage, I guess, yeah. at that level. Long way to go. And mm. um, in reference to the town council, I was referring to Anzac Hill. I mean, um, here we are amongst one of the biggest Aboriginal populations in the country. And uh, wouldn't it be great to see that flag on Anzac Hill? Mm. Well, on to our final story now. What do you have for us? Uh, this is uh, courtesy of the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, uh, a 17-year-old... Um, Young politician and uh, activist, Hamani Tanganoa, uh, he has been elected Premier of the 2019 Youth Parliament, which uh, sits in Parliament House on Macquarie Street in July. He was appointed as one of 12 members of the New South Wales Government's Youth Advisory uh, Council. Um, uh, the um, He has uh, some very firm and strong views uh, uh, youth parliament is more than play six pieces of legislation passed by the previous youth parliament have now been enacted by the new south wales parliament they include the domestic violence disclosure scheme to help people at risk of domestic violence find out if a partner has a history of violence but um, this young gentleman um, Hamani Tanganoa is hoping a proposal for a bill that will create Aboriginal educational advisory boards in each school. Uh, It will tackle racism and also get people who are Aboriginal but don't identify that way to speak out. These boards would include uh, local elders and community members. Sounds like a story we should follow up. Definitely, and it's great to see, you know, the young leaders coming up and, and, you know, being able to have 
a position where they can actually have their voices heard. You know, I had yeah. recently uh, spoken with a member of the uh, 2019 NT Youth Roundtable who met up in, in, in Darwin uh, last weekend. And, you know, it, it's, it's being able to, you know, have that same voice, mm. I think, for the young people of people who are obviously going to be very aware or even possibly be experiencing some of the things that are happening within their communities yeah. And then to help make that change. So, yeah. definitely great to have that voice out there. On that note, Paul, thank you for joining us for the news from around the country. Thank you. What's up? You're listening to Strong Voices on Cam Radio. That's right. You're listening to Strong Voices. On to our next story now. Uh, gambling is a very sensitive topic, which many communities are still not willing to talk about. Ashley Gordon has a vast experience in the field of problem gambling, focusing on community education, program design, development and delivery for Indigenous peoples and communities. Paul Wiles files this report. And welcome back to the program. Well, we're heading down to Geelong in Victoria, where a former rugby player who's turned safe gambling advocate is catching up with some of the mob. It's a very warm welcome to Ashley Gordon. Welcome to Karma. G'day, g'day. How you going? Really good. First of all, tell us your mob, your country. I'm a Gamilaroi man from Corrindabri, born there and uh, grew up in Bawarana. Uh, Bargachi father, um, but now reside in Newcastle, a Wabigal country. For those who don't know, you you played a bit of rugby in your day? Yeah, rugby league, um, Newcastle Knights and uh, Penrith Panthers um, back in the day uh, when uh, players still had to work. Tell us a little bit about your involvement in gambling. How did it all start off for you, in a good or a bad way? In a good way. I was a school teacher originally and decided to have a bit of a, a leap into something else and I stumbled on uh, counselling. And through that counselling, I got accredited and qualified in gambling counselling. But after about four or five years, I noticed that Aboriginal people weren't seeking help in that gambling sector across the state. And so then I got into some research uh, with Southern Cross University and Central Queensland University later on around, you know, the impacts of gambling on Aboriginal communities, help-seeking behaviour, why Aboriginal people weren't seeking help. And then that got me into developing a program for New South Wales, which is what I do now, which is a bit of everything, but we've totally tailored and focused on Aboriginal communities and and raising the awareness and, and helping them gain help. Now, Ashley, for uh, the mob, I suppose we could say that they don't really see it as a problem. Money comes and money goes, but uh, it's the after effect of not having the money. I think um, culturally pushing even gambling aside and, and, and just putting it putting away for a minute, basically we, we're used to being broke. All of our mob don't value the dollar as much as we should, and that's a cultural problem. I think we weren't taught enough, you know, around financial literacy. It's not normal to be broke. It's not normal to just spend all our money on payday and a few days after, but also putting it aside and getting through. I think we're used to living in those conditions where we don't have money and we support one another as family, and, and our kinship structures are like that. But sadly, when people are gambling now uh, and they lose their money, it's not causing any trigger for them to seek help. So they're not getting a sign to say, oh, I've got a problem. It's not a problem when I'm used to being broke. And sadly, that's a common factor across every state and territory in Australia. So we need to change the way we think if we're, we think that we're going to improve health standards because you need money to, to buy healthy food and to buy healthy products and hygiene and so forth. We need food to pay rent and bills and, and get along. So I think people are neglecting the fact that gambling could be playing a role in, in so many things, particularly health-related things, across the community. And, and it saddens me to, that we're not acknowledging that as a serious problem. 
sadly it is an addiction and um, if we look at it like any other health problem people do need help even though they don't know they need help how difficult is it to get people to take that step one of the big barriers for we don't seek help is, is we don't know what's available we don't know what services are there throw in the fact that we don't know if it's free we don't know if it's group therapy we don't know if it's individual therapy we don't know a lot about it so therefore we don't seek help the second most important reason is we don't know if they can understand this culturally so can they support me in a way that i feel comfortable and confident so yeah, research will show that you know Aboriginal people, if they do seek help, will drop out most times in the first session. So they're not completing that treatment. So we have to look at how we go about supporting our mob. Obviously, in this country, gambling counselling is seems to be the only thing. You know, whereas I think we need to look outside that and look at other ways that we can support the mob, particularly our own, you know, way, which could be you know group group work or smart recovery or, or our healing programs. We've got a lot of good healing programs, men's groups, women's groups. So we've got to look at ways of strengthening what we've already got culturally and build on that. We can't rely on the, the gambling council to fit our, fix our gambling problems because it's not going to work. If we look historically, I mean, it's gone from game two up to the yeah. horse races, but now clubs and pubs play a big part in feeding the addiction. Look at the statistics per capita. We've got more poker machines in this country than, than any other country per population. You know, And the revenue raised from our gaming and poker machine sports betting is ridiculous in Australia. We actually, we actually promote gambling as a way of, of, of life for Australia. It's part of the culture. It's part of the fabric that we live. And I think, wow, you know, sports betting in particular on footy and TV, it's grown to the point where it's, it, it can't be like this anymore. Particularly young people growing up, gambling is part of the, the culture. And I said it's wrong. In Aboriginal communities, yeah, um, we're basically following what, what everyone else is doing because everywhere I go, poker machines are everywhere, you know, sports betting everywhere and then you've got phones and internet and computers now where you can gamble anytime anywhere and sadly Aboriginal people are chasing money just like anybody else. What is the process that the mob could relate to? How do you make it work? For me it's about sitting down with the mob and having that yarn and getting them to, to, to talk, talk about the issues associated with gambling, getting them to acknowledge, getting them to take ownership you know, and, and then obviously involving the mob then to say, well, what do you want to do? Be part of the planning process. Be part of moving forward. What do you want to do? So I've been to communities where we might put in some safe gambling measures around card playing. You know, we might look at ways of supporting one another more. We might look at ways of, you know, take it, taking it on board as a priority and as an issue. At the moment, Aboriginal people are chasing so many important things, and they are all important, you know, whether it's health or mental health or, you know, youth suicide. They're all really, really important important things. Gambling is still not seen as a priority and therefore it's by a lot of our health service and a lot of our programs, they're, they're not putting it on the agenda as really important and it's really connected to all those things that we're facing. Here we are in National Reconciliation Week. If this country can't address poverty and educate people along the way, um, still a long way to go. Definitely. Looking at you trying to help people who are at disadvantage, if you, if you tell me where gambling is is done most or it's where most money is spent it's at poor socioeconomic communities you know so where should we be focused on where people are unemployed where people are, are, are really disadvantaged now i've been to places where you think well you know there's nothing to do there's boredom there's nothing there but the local venue well they're going all right because you know gambling is still seen as a way to escape and unwind and relax 
But sadly, the people who are gambling the most are disadvantaged people. As Aboriginal people, we need to take this on as a collective body. We can't rely on others. This is an issue as Aboriginal people we need to, to talk together and address. It's, it's growing. It's not, it's not going backwards. And, you know, it's connected to domestic violence. It's connected to mental health. It's connected to kids being absent from school, kids' attention spans at school. It's, I can prove that it's connected to so many health-related and family breakdown issues that we as Aboriginal people need to see. Ashley Gordon, uh, keep up the good work. We'll keep in touch. No worries. Thanks for having me. Yes, that was uh, Paul Wiles speaking with uh, safe gambling advocate there, Ashley Gordon. That's right, you're listening to Strong Voices. We're going to head into our final story of the show now. Alan Doolin is a Goring Goring and Waka Waka man who spent around a year walking from the tip of Queensland from Cape York all the way to Parliament House in Canberra. Along his journey, he collected a range of messages of reconciliation from around 50 Indigenous nations. Karma Zarina Walker recently spoke with Mr Doolin. Here's that conversation now. I just want to welcome you onto the Karma Network. For the listeners who are tuning in this morning, I'm speaking with Alwyn Doolin. So, Alwyn, uh, thank you for joining me this morning. Oh, no, thanks for having me. Can you tell us uh, who you are, who's your mob, and where you're from? Yeah, hi, your mob. Um, my name is Alwyn Doolin, and I'm a grand grand waka waka man from over Queensland way. I've been on the message stick walk. So, I walked from Bamaga, Cape York, up in the tip of Queensland, all the way to Canberra via Tasmania. Over eight and a half thousand kilometres I've walked over a whole year actually, 365 days. It's taken me to the exact date they took me to get to Canberra to put notice to the Australian government. What was it that made you wake up one morning and say, yeah, I want to do this walk? What inspired you to do this? Over time, you know, just that kind of spiritual build-up of being disconnected and trying to find my identity within the colonial system and then the traditional way within my community. I was conflicted on both sides of learning different history from outside and within inside. And, yeah, it really confused me and, and it got, you know, got caught in a different cycle. And it wasn't until I moved back home I saw the, the effects of um, that having on to the, the next generation and those that are younger than me, such as my nephews and nieces. And I thought, what can I do to, you know, inspire them and give them hope and really make a movement to impact change across the whole of Australia, including the fellow Australians as well, to come on the journey with me. So, and that's when I thought about it. I'll just walk from Bermuda to Canberra. That is so inspiring. Yeah. Just seeing <laughs> seeing your journey. I mean, social media plays a huge part in everyone's lives, but when it comes to things like this, like yeah, it really does. And what was it like? Because you stopped in many Aboriginal communities along your way. So, what was it like when you did stop in community? What was the message, or how did how were you? received in community? What messages did you get from community that you, you now take with you or took with you when you got to Canberra? It was amazing and it was very, um, you know, quite well responded um, from all the community. I actually, I went through over 50 nations um, and across the board, the main aspect that the communities were talking about, it was self-determination and those um, messages there were, were collected in um, traditional form, put on the message stick and also on paper and, you know, covers a whole broad range of the, the socioeconomics from just the colonial positions that we're still facing and from government policies that aren't, just aren't working. You know, the structures are, are mandated from the mind frames of a, a Western society and not from 
our ways of the land and the living. So that was, yeah, it opened my, my mind and it opened my, my knowledge to be more wiser, more aware of the, the fact that really things actually need to change and it's much more deeper than the whitewash education that we get taught within the school. So I'm glad and very privileged to have had that opportunity to collect those messages and share that out on the broader range on my social media. Wow, over 50 nations. Did you, Do you think, like... After going through those communities, was it the sort of the same message that the different communities were sort of coming to? Yeah, of course. And, you know, and I also found along the way there was quite a lot of great of um, a divide between ourselves. And as I was passing through, I would then literally, you know, just utilise my walking movement to connect with the neighbouring nation and let them know that, hey, you know, your mob neighbours here that are literally facing the same aspects in their communities, you know, the same struggle. So the fight is not with that, with each other. It's against the dispossession and displacement that's been put here between us that we need to conquer over and unite. Yeah, and it just really, it really kind of domino effect and was um, very similar to each um, nation uh, as I went through. Like you mentioned, just the um, the distance that we have when it comes to, you know, Aboriginal people and, and sort of trying to move forward with self-determination, but also so try and move forward with that one voice um, so we can stand together and stand strong as, as, a, as a people. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I've, I've always mentioned that, you know, this messy stick is, is not about me. I'm, I'm actually, you know, I know that I'm the one carrying it. I've done such the hard yards, but I've, 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 it's, it's, it's an open forum. It's, it's open to all, you know, to um, share their views and opinions and, and, you know, their voices that get lost within the transitions of speaking out and, and you know, especially within grassroots movements and, and that to get overshadowed by the Indigenous reps and it's, you know, trying to bring that out, that the real truth and the, the community that are really living and breathing the kind of struggle that we're still facing. What was it like when you got into Canberra and then walking up to the Parliament House? And, yeah, just tell us how that went for you. Were there a lot of people waiting there for you? Yeah, it was unbelievable. Uh, I'm still I'm still pretty much indulging in that moment because it was, you know, I had set the my agenda of arriving on the 18th, which was um, coincidentally um, the election day. And, yeah, like, I, I just... It was a day that I wanted the, the community to come out and, and just share and celebrate that, that moment that I had just achieved walking into Canberra from all the way from the top end and walking up to Parliament House on a couple of days after I arrived, um, that was another just historic moment in my life of, of achievement that I had been longing for and yearning for and holding on all this, you know, all this joy and all this sadness and, and anger from the people that I've met and connected with from all the nations and even the strangers and everything, you know, holding all on to that, carrying it on my shoulders and be able to just release that energy out in the front of Parliament House and say, I am here and, you know, determined. So I'm real, a little bit surreal still in that moment, you know? about it but wow that just gives me goosebumps like did you end up talking to any of the people in parliament your message why you did it no um i've had no response which is really no surprise to me yeah um but that's that's the thing i think maybe it's kind of gone in favor of, of me that 
I now have a time frame to recuperate my body and also connect with community here and also put out onto my social media, which is growing, to put out and say, hey, my we've got time now, let's gather and let's put our thoughts together and let's start drafting up solutions. And when, we, when time comes, when the newly sworn government is in, then we are ready, you know, we're prepared and this is how it's going to look like. What message do you have for, for mob out there who are feeling discouraged, who are feeling let down by the government and, uh, you know, the, all the issues that we're faced with on a day-to-day basis? It's What message would you have to all the mob out there who were listening this morning? Yeah, look, I would say to the mob that I think now is you know, an opportunity, or well, I hope that the message sticks provide an opportune time for us to really unite as people. And we set the standards of our agenda and we get rid of the waiting game or asking, you know, the continuation of asking government to change things because it's not happening and or it's going at a very, very slow process. So it's encouraging mob to be motivated and take responsibility to put towards action. Literally, if they can get to Canberra and and be here and and utilize this message stick as a framework and we build upon our mind and all sovereign nations across, you know, Australia implement this our actual rights, you know, our sovereign rights as people. And yeah, it's really just trying to, yeah, get mobbed to to get up and stand up and be strong within it, you know. It, it's all a part of everyone. This is not just me. What would you like to see in the future, when this government gets, you know, their, their act together, what would you like to see in the future when it comes to uh, our government? Yeah, I would love to see us establishing our, uh, our sovereign gov- governance. Then we go through uh, a transition process of dismantling the Western Pole system here and then everyone, pretty much the whole of Australia comes within the law of the land. That's the aspects that I'm talking about, that all First Nations people, I find, have to be in a space of, of unity and come together and then we implement it, how that looks to give everyone the, the roles and responsibilities, including Australians, of how they're going to be a part of us by healing the land first and then it domino effects and causes onto healing the people itself. Yeah, that way we can make those decisions for ourselves without having to ask or have any allegiance to the British monarchy or any um, other affiliations but our own, um, which is this law that's our system practices that have always been here. Thinking about this month, like May, you walking to Canberra, you know, the day of the election, um, May is also like... Uh, May 27th is also the anniversary of the Australian referendum in in 1967. Um, it's National Sorry Day. It's Reconciliation Week. I mean, it, it's such a, a big week, but for all of it to sort of come together like that, yeah. You know, weird how just how it happened like that. And, and it's even also, I think it's Reconciliation Week this week. It's yep. been, I think their, their theme is Ground and Truth. So, you know, I've been going out to community and just letting that truth be heard. Yeah. <laughs> Whether they like it or not, you know, it's got to be said and it's got to be owned. We've got to take that initiative to accept it and inform the, the bedrock of Australia's cultural identity of which is what you know which is Aboriginal history before colonization we need to own this history that we have now and not holding on to this guilt or whatever and denial yeah and stand up with it you know and and then move on together yeah you've inspired a lot of people even for me I work in radio but for us to be able to um, talk to people like yourself and, and get these messages spread out so um, you know the rest of Australia can hear hear those words too so uh, yeah, on that note, uh, Alwyn, I would like to thank you 
for taking the time out this morning and uh, talking to me here on the Karma Network. Well, good. Don't worry. Thank you, Lorena. Yes, that was uh, Alan Doolan there speaking with Karma's Lorena Walker. That's going to conclude Strong Voices for this morning. Thank you for tuning in. Hopefully you've enjoyed the program. If you missed any of it, uh, you can head to Karma's SoundCloud. We'll be posting up a podcast of the episode. Stay safe and enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll be back the same time tomorrow. Strong Voices. Good job.